My name is Isaiah Givens. In my statement of faith, I wrote that the Bible is a written guide for Christians and is here to help us live a loving and faithful life. The Bible recalls certain events that took place in the history of the ancient people of Israel and other things that took place during Jesus' time. The Bible shows us how God loves us and how we can share that love in every aspect of our lives. As we prepare to reflect on the Bible passage for us today, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we listen to your word by your Holy Spirit, move now in our hearts, breathe through the words we hear, the songs we share, the burdens we carry, until we discover our purpose in your liberating love. Amen. Today's passage is from the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 29. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself of all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood through His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has re reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present your holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has now been proclaimed to every creature and, uh, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's proper people. Uh, to them God has chosen to make them among the uh, Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we pr proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all, all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great to be with you all as we worship God together this Confirmation Sunday. Back when I was in high school, my dad was a team doctor for the San Diego Padres. And so my family and I got to see a lot of baseball games at what was then the Jack Murphy Stadium. And there were some years where the Padres did quite well, like 1984. That was a remarkable year. That was the year the San Diego Padres made it all the way to the World Series. And the energy in the Jack Murphy Stadium that year could be exhilarating. There was a sense that the whole city was coming around this team as they were enjoying a winning season. There was a sense of exhilaration when they won the National League pennant that year and there was a common deep sense of disappointment when they lost in the World Series to the Detroit Tigers. That was a great year still to be a Padres fan. Well, other years, the San Diego Padres did not do so well and the energy in the Jack Murphy Stadium could be lackluster at best. But there was still at least one time in the game, even if the Padres were losing, that all the crowd seemed to come together. 
Halfway through the seventh inning, everyone would stand up and the organ would begin playing a song all baseball fans know by heart. And if you were one of those rare souls who didn't know the song already, the lyrics were shown up on a big screen. Those in their 90s would sing this song and little children would sing it too. And to prove that little children could participate in this singing of the seventh inning stretch song, here is my daughter Lucy at age two singing that song. And I'm grateful to her for permission to show this video to you now. Go. Take me to the Now that song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, was written back in 1908. It's more than a hundred years old. And yet we continue to sing it. We pass it on to our children. Why? Well, maybe we do that because becoming a baseball fan is something like joining a chorus. And we want to pass that idea on to others getting swept up in a game, experiencing the elation when your team wins and the deep disappointment when they lose, knowing the unity you have with others from your city and fans of the team, past, present, and future there in the stadium. You might just say it's like joining in a grand song. Sure, people have sung it long before you, but that's part of the delight. There's a fandom that is bigger than you are. And yet, as you participate there in the stadium and get swept up in it all, you get to lend your particular voice to this great song, its unique character and timbre. Fandom is like joining a song. In a Christian church, the decision to become a Jesus fan to follow him, it's long been compared to joining a chorus. For how do you describe to somebody what it's truly like to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? How do you tell of what it means to delight in his love for you, to join in the pain and the pleasure, the agony and ecstasy of discipleship? How do you speak about what it means to die to sin and rise to new life in Christ? Would you call it a great adventure, perhaps an exhilarating journey? How do you speak of you being united by the power of the Holy Spirit with people going back more than 2,000 years and spread around the globe today, united in one common love of a single Savior named Jesus Christ? How do you begin to describe what it's like to be, well, born again, only this time not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. How would you tell someone who is not a part of the church what it's like to be a part of a movement of personal and social transformation that has as its nexus a teacher and healer and prophet named Jesus of Nazareth? 
How do you tell of how in him all things in heaven and on earth are somehow reconciled to God and that you get to be a part of that as you join your life with his? How do you possibly tell of what that is like? Well, one way to do it is to say that professing faith in Christ is like joining a grand and mighty chorus. It's like adding your voice to the great choir of praise to Christ, the creator and ruler of the universe. Billy Graham often spoke of his decision to follow Jesus Christ made back in 1934 and how it was like joining a song. His conversion took place at a revival meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina. Graham walked forward during the altar call and as he did so, an old hymn was playing, one that had been written 100 years earlier. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Graham would go on to become an evangelist and preacher who would pack stadiums, and at those gatherings after Graham had preached that song, Just As I Am, would play as people came forward to give their lives to Christ, and the symbolism was unmistakable. To commit your life to Christ was to join in a grand song of praise to the Lamb, to join your voice with that of others in lifting him up. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20, the first part of the passage that Isaiah Gibbons read this morning, is likely a section from an even older Christian hymn. The style and language of this section, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it's so different from the rest of this letter. It's language so poetic in its form, we think Paul is quoting or adapting the words of a hymn. Later in this letter to the Colossians, Paul will urge his readers to sing psalms, hymns, and other spiritual songs to God. And so it makes sense that early in this letter, Paul might even quote such a hymn or song in what he writes to the Colossians. And what's the content of this song Paul recounts to the Colossian church, this grand and glorious Christ hymn? Well, the lyrics speak of something so much more earth-shaking and heaven-transforming than merely extolling the virtues of a national pastime. The content of this great Christ hymn, like the very song we sing as we say yes to the invitation of Christ, it speaks of the creator of all things coming near to us in Christ. It tells of how Jesus is not merely a teacher and not merely human, but we read, or rather, we read in this song of how in Christ the very fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ is spoken of as only God is spoken of in the Hebrew scriptures. One of the core doctrinal commitments articulated in Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is that somehow Christ in his person was God incarnate, fully human and yet fully God. I love how one of our confirmation students, Anya Millard, describes this very quality of Christ. I struggled to merge my image of a personal, caring God with that of a great God of the universe, watching over the cogs of his world turn as they were designed. To me, the two versions exist as almost separate entities, a therapist on one side and a set of cosmic strings woven into a complicated tapestry on the other. 
a friend, and the universe. I understand the broad concept. I get how Jesus is both human and divine with little struggle. In order to come to some sort of compromise between the mysterious, expansive God and the companion God, I think of an interview I heard on the radio about a year ago. I was an only child of two liberal parents and the aunts, so naturally I was raised on NPR. For me, Fresh Air was like most people's Disney Channel. My dad and I were driving through Latuna Canyon for a reason I cannot remember. We were listening to a particular rerun episode in which Terry Gross interviewed Oliver Sacks, a British neurologist who had spent his career studying hallucinogenic drugs. He described his experience with the color indigo, a color that had eluded his understanding for years. How could something be both perfectly blue and perfectly violet at the same time? It wasn't like orange or pink or green, all color combinations we can easily make in our heads and understand. But indigo? It wasn't necessarily a combination of blue and purple, as it was simply blue and purple simultaneously. It was confusing and somewhat incomprehensible. Sachs called indigo the color of heaven, something so beautiful and inconceivable that he only ever saw it twice in his life, once when on a cocktail of hallucinogenic drugs, and once when at a concert at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. To me, God and Jesus are indigo. God is both holy friend and holy universe, just as indigo is both holy blue and holy violet. Not separate entities, not a combination, but both simultaneously. Jesus is both holy human and holy divine. God is indigo. I like that description of Christ as indigo. And I love how Anya and all of our other confirmands are singing the Christ hymn in their statements of faith. Oh, sure, they've got their own particular voice and imagination that they bring to the song, but they're singing the ancient hymn all the same, a song of faith in Jesus Christ. In today's passage from Colossians, we read not only of how the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, we also read of how Christ was the great reconciler. The human race was created in the image of God, we recall from Genesis, but sin marred that image. Christ restores it, we read, perfects it, presents us blameless before the God of creation as we unite with Christ by faith. Christ reconciles us to God by bringing the very presence of the author of creation near to us, and the reconciliation does not stop there. All things we read in heaven, and on earth will know reconciliation with God through Christ. He's the fulcrum on whom the very transformation of heaven and earth rests. Confessing faith in the God revealed in Jesus Christ, it is like joining a grand chorus of creation of the universe. We're not the first to sing the Jesus song. The Colossian believers were not the first to sing the Jesus song. And yet Paul encourages them to join in it all the same. And when they do, when we do, we bring our own particular voice, our unique testimony, our specific gifts that then bless the larger body. Here's how one of our confirmands, Emerson Nathan, describes the moment he came to faith and chose to join his voice with the church's great song of praise. Hi, my name's Emerson, and I'm gonna be sharing the onvoking realization that I believe in Jesus. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was at Houseboats in 2019 looking at the stars with one of my leaders, and his name was Zach. 
We began to talk about friendships, our purpose in, in life, and how God works in society. We began to expand upon topics I've never heard of before, like what are the chances I exist or even what are the chances that I'm a human on this earth? All of a sudden, something caught my eye. Um, I looked in the air and a shooting star went by in an instant. I was wondering to myself, what are the chances that I see one of those? Then it hit me harder than a train. I wasn't put here on this earth by accident. God didn't put me here by accident. He put me here on purpose. I have some sort of purpose and I'm still figuring out what that is. Right now, I think my purpose is going to be something to do with music, whether that be me playing guitar in a band or managing an artist or even being a roadie for all I know. All I know is that it's going to be awesome and God's going to lead me every single step of the way. I've come to the vast realization that I was missing so much in my life when I could not see God as part of the big picture. God filled that empty void in me and I can now be happy. That's my story. Thank you for your time. Peace out. As today's passage from Colossians notes, the God behind even the shooting stars was made known to us in Jesus Christ. When we respond to that God in faith, our voice, our testimony joins in the vo with the voices of others, with the testimonies of others in one grand chorus of praise to the God of the universe we know in Christ. I love how Bernice Johnson Regan describes singing in the congregation as a journey both of maintaining your own individual voice but also joining something so much bigger than you. Regan spent her life leading singing in the church and in the civil rights movement. She was a founding member of the Freedom Singers back in the 1960s, and she would go on to found one of the great a cappella groups, Sweet Honey in the Rock. She would call the civil rights movement a singing movement and talk about how growing up in the black church impacted her engagement in civil rights. It showed her how people could be united through a song in the struggle for justice. When she was asked in an interview about what she hoped for in leading singing, this is what she said. In Western formal choral tradition, there's an aim for a blend so you cannot distinguish where the parts are coming from. With singing in my congregation, I could drive up to the church and they could be singing and I could tell you who was there because the individual timbres of a voice never disappeared. That congregational style is one of the things I think is important for democracy. The individual does not have to disappear if you've got a group of people and all of them are saying, I, you actually have a group. She noted how you've got all these I songs and the African-American tradition that are still collective expressions. The I, when you join with other eyes singing, she said, it becomes a we. She went on, I'm not a soloist, I'm a song leader. Song leaders start songs, but you can't finish them without some help. So singing doesn't make sense to me without the congregation. The song's not a product. The song exists as a way to get to the singing, and the singing is not a product. The singing exists to form the community, and there isn't anything higher than that I've ever experienced, Regan said. As Christians, there is still the I as we sing together. 
But our eye each joins with that grand chorus sung for millennia and joining in that grand we. And yet still being an I. Well, as Regan puts it, there isn't anything higher than that that I've ever experienced. So come now. Confirmands and all, come all Christians, join to sing Alleluia, Amen. Loud praise to Christ our King, Alleluia, Amen. He is our guide and friend to us. He'll condescend. His love will never end. Alleluia, Amen.